0: You may be seated. Paul says, "...put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood." Last week, we began an exposition of these last verses of Ephesians. And the subject that we're, we'll be studying is the idea of Christian warfare. And here the Apostle Paul says that we wrestle. Verse number 12 says that we wrestle. And that tells us that there's a battle that's going on. We're fighting these unseen forces of darkness. And if we're in this battle, we need to recognize who we we're fighting. We need to recognize that it exists because many people don't. But we've got to know here we're fighting, and we have to be prepared for this fight. And to be prepared, we have to really have a grasp and an understanding of who this enemy is. So we've got to learn how he works. We need to see how he acts. We need to know where he came from, and we also need to know the extent of his power. Now, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, "'We are not ignorant of his devices.'" Now, Paul was able to say that because he was one who studied the word of God. He looked this subject, and I mean, he, he tried to find all that he could out about the devil. The Lord revealed some things to him. And the apostle Paul knew, and he wasn't ignorant of the devil's devices. But I'm afraid that in our churches today, there are many Christians who are, in fact, ignorant of the devil's devices. They really don't know very much about him. And one of the reasons why is because they've been duped By many of these false teachers that are out there, they give them the totally wrong picture of what the Christian life is all about. And so you have these false teachers, and I'll say his name again, like Osteen and his ilk, they preach the wrong message and the messages that they preach. I once heard a preacher say that he would not preach an entire sermon on the devil. Not an entire sermon, he said, because the devil is simply not worth it. Why preach an entire sermon on the devil? Well, I understand those sentiments, and I know where he's coming from, but I'm going to preach three entire sermons on the devil because I think you need to know who he is, and you ought not to underestimate the power of the devil. And if you are uh, oppressed in your Christian life, It's not because you don't have enough faith in yourself and in your abilities to do right things and and to change things. The reason that you are oppressed is because there's an enemy who lurks behind every corner. He's always out there and he is waiting to destroy your testimony and your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to talk about the enemy. Can we actually know more about the devil? Well, I believe that we can because we have the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, it talks about him. In the New Testament, it talks about him. And Jesus, in his preaching, referred to the devil often, and he talked about his power and his kingdom. So we're going to learn something about the devil. So who is the enemy? Well, let's start out with this. First of all, we're going to discuss Satan's origin. Where did Satan come from? One of the most popular conceptions about Satan and and really about evil is that it's always existed. I mean, Satan's always been here. Some people believe that Satan is eternal just as God is eternal. And he's existed always just as God has existed. If you go back and you look at some of the ways that ancients uh, believed and the uh, uh, different gods that they believed in, they believed that there was a good God, and the good God was the source of all good things. And then there was another God who was virtually equal to the good God, and he was an evil God, and he's the source of all evil things. And so people have the idea that, or did have the idea, that evil was eternal, just like good is eternal. Well, today, I don't know if you can find anybody who believes in those kinds of things like, like the ancient people did. But there are some people today who do believe that both good and evil are simply forces that are found naturally in the universe. These are things that are simply inherent in creation. And then there are some who don't believe that evil even exists at all. That evil is merely, the concept of evil at least, is just merely the absence of good. And that's what evil is. Then you have other people like the Mormons, and they don't believe that either Satan or Jesus were are were eternal beings, but that both are actually created beings. Now the Mormons are often accused of believing that Satan and Jesus are brothers. And they labor very, very, uh, very much and with great difficulty to try to disprove the idea that they believe that Satan and Jesus are brothers. But they have a doctrine called the universal fatherhood of God in which they believe that both Satan and Jesus were created. And so, therefore, by logic, they must be brothers. And so, in the Mormon mind, they are, in fact, brothers. Well, the truth of the matter is, of course, that Jesus is eternal God. He's always been in existence. He's the eternal God, but Satan, in fact, is a created being. So, let's look first of all at this, that he was created by God. Well, That, that sort of blows some people's minds. I mean, they, they can't really understand. How, how could God create a being like Satan? How could God create something that is so evil? Well, Satan's name means adversary. It means opposer. But when Satan was created, he was neither an adversary or an opposer. Because when God created Satan, he wasn't even Satan at all. He wasn't evil. God created uh, uh, Satan as, as as a being, as an angel that would glorify God. And he was among the highest of all the angels that God created. When God finished creation, he looked and he saw that everything was good. Everything was perfect. There was no evil in anything that God had created. And Satan was also in that creation. But as I said, he wasn't Satan then, he was something else. And the Bible tells us about him, and the Bible's clear about what he actually was. So if you have your Bible there, turn now, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, You should have your finger there, and also in Ezekiel 28. We'll go there in just a moment. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in both of these scriptures, and we're going to see how Satan was created and how the Bible characterizes him. Let's look at this scripture in Isaiah 14 first. Look at verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now, I just want you to notice the first part of this right now, because here is his name. His name wasn't Satan in the beginning. His name was Lucifer. And Lucifer is a name that means day star. And what it refers to is that he was uh, the brightness of this being, that he was actually the reflection of God's glory. Now, while you've got your finger in Isaiah 14, keep it there. And let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number 11 right quickly. And we're going to find out something here about the position of Satan as he was originally created. Ezekiel 28, verse number 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... "'Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, "'Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. "'Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. "'Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, "'the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold.'" The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou, hast, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Now, I want to, to say, first of all, that what we're reading here in Ezekiel that Ezekiel's referring to a king that actually lived during his time. This king was a very ungodly person. He ruled a kingdom that was ungodly. The people of that kingdom were, were full of pride... But it's evident as we, as we read this description that Ezekiel gives that Ezekiel must have had more in mind than just this earthly king that he's talking about. I mean, even if you looked at this using the most extensive literary hyperbole, no one could live up to the things that he says right here. Now, notice what he says. The description here is full of wisdom perfect in beauty. He says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. He goes on and he says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and thou wast perfect in thy ways. So Ezekiel could never have had just in mind this king of Tyrus because there's no way that any person who ever lived had these kinds of attributes. So what Ezekiel has in mind here is the evil that's going on behind the scene. What's behind this king of Tyrus? And so Tyrus, the king of Tyrus, becomes representative of Satan. And the description here is how that Satan stood before God before he fell. Now, let's notice some things that it says about him. Number one, it says that he was beautiful and wise. He was perfect in beauty. He was so beautiful that we could call him the model of perfection. Satan, or Lucifer as he was called then, was like the crowning achievement of all of God's creation. He surpassed everything that God made for beauty. In him was found wisdom. God made him so that he was discerning. He had reason. He was able to think about things. He was able to look at himself and and to see how he compared to the rest of God's creation. And he could acknowledge himself that he was created in, in, in beauty and in wisdom. And then we find here the mention of many precious stones that adorned him. And so to look at him, Lucifer must have been dazzling beyond belief. Now, many people have a totally wrong idea of what Satan looks like. And if you have the idea that Satan is somebody with horns and a, and a tail and, and uh, is a real hideous-looking creature, you have the wrong idea. Because when Satan appeared to Eve... He was everything but an evil-looking creature. He was deceptively beautiful to her. So he was a beautiful creature, enticingly beautiful. Then secondly, he was an anointed cherub. And that means that among all the angels that were created, uh, Lucifer occupied a position that was of the highest position of the angels. Now, most people believe by reading the scriptures that there there's actually a hierarchy among angels, and that uh, Lucifer was created at the very top of that hierarchy of those angels. Uh, by reading the New Test or Old Testament, rather, we find out that the cherubim were special angels that God put to guard the entrance into Eden. After Adam was thrown out of the Garden of Eden, God put cherubs there to keep him from getting back into the Garden and to eat of the Tree of Life, and also the tree of the, or eat of the Tree of Life, I should say. And God kept them out by, by putting those, those cherubs there. And then as you read a little bit further into the Old Testament, you find out that it, were these, it was these angels, these cherubs, that were, that were molded into a, a mercy seat. And that was placed upon the Ark of the Covenant. And there were these two cherubims that stood on each side of that mercy seat. And they looked down on the mercy seat. And we know that the mercy seat really has reference to the very throne room of God. And that's the place where Jesus would come with the blood of his sacrifice. And he would sprinkle it there. And that would be the atonement for our sins. And so these cherubs, they, they are guardians of the throne of God. And so that tells us that they are closest in proximity to God himself. And so Lucifer was created this way in holiness and righteousness. And he represented the very best of all that God created. And so there wasn't any evil in him. So neither Satan or evil are eternal. These are things that come into being. Now in Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 15, we have that picture of Lucifer. That's Lucifer and not Satan. Now they 're the same people, remember that they're the same angel, rather, but, but in in Ezekiel, we have the picture of Lucifer. Lucifer's the day star, he 's beautiful, and he 's perfect. But we know that he didn 't stay that way. He was created by God, but he defected from God. so Lucifer didn 't keep that holy estate, he didn't remain in holiness and righteousness, and exactly the time that he defected from God, the Bible doesn't really tell us. It doesn't tell us exactly when he was created. But we do know that he was created before man. He fell before man fell. How long before it happened, the Bible doesn't say. But let's turn back here to this passage in Isaiah and let's see what happened to him after he fell. So we're back now to Isaiah chapter 14 and let's look at verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, How art thou cast down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So beauty and splendor and wisdom and exaltation, all of those things became Lucifer's undoing. Now, he looked at who he was and looked at the way in which he was created. And he decided, that's not enough. That's not enough for me. I mean, he he was an angel with more power than we can possibly imagine. But that was not enough for him. And so he decided that he wanted all power. He wanted all the prestige. He wanted everything that belonged to God and God alone. And so Lucifer set out to make himself God. Well, this cosmic struggle that we're involved in today, that's Lucifer, old Satan, still vying for power. He's still struggling to get power. Now, if you think that it all ended back there in the Garden of Eden and and everything was settled right then, you're sadly mistaken because what Lucifer or Satan is trying to do right at this very moment, he's still trying to wrestle that power away from God and he still wants God's position. But there's an interesting aspect, I think, here to, to all of this because some have posed the question, well, what was it that pushed Lucifer over the edge? I mean, what was it really that made him decide that with all that he had, with all of his beauty, with his position, with his power, what was it that pushed him over the edge and caused him to rebel against God? Well, again, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but it has been suggested that the cause of this was the creation of man. Now, Lucifer was created with all of these wonderful things. He had the position in heaven. He has a rank above all the other angels. But what he could not stomach was man. You see, what God decided to do is that he would put something yet higher between himself and the creation than angels. And so what God decided to do, he would make man the very crowning point of his creation. And so man himself would end up in a higher position than angels. And so Lucifer then would not only have to serve God, but he would also have to serve man. And isn't that what the Bible says? The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews one fourteen. Are they not all ministering spirits? And that's talking about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be the heirs of salvation? And so that means that not only will the angels serve God, but they will also serve man. And in 1 Corinthians 6.3, Paul wrote, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. And so I can imagine that the most horrible, biting thing that must be on Satan's mind right now is that when the end comes, when it comes right down to the end, Satan will have to sit under the authority of men. Men will judge him. The saints of God will judge him. Now, he's thinking, man, uh, man is a despicable creature. I have more power than man. And, of course, we know that now Satan pushes us around. He makes dog food out of us just about any time that he wants. But the Bible says that one day we are going to sit in judgment of him. And so when God said, I'm going to have a relationship with man, I'll have a relationship that no other creature enjoys not even the angels, and when God said, I'm going to make man the object of my affection, and I'm going to exalt man, I want man to worship me, I'm going to make him the crown of my creation, that was too much for Lucifer to bear. And so that sent him over the edge. Lucifer's problem was pride, and he wasn't about, nor is he content to let puny man rule over him. So he's not content for God to rule over him, And certainly he's not content to have man rule over him. And so he defected. He rebelled. But interestingly enough, he wasn't content to enter into that rebellion alone. He didn't want to go by himself. And so there were other angels that joined Lucifer in this rebellion. Now I can imagine that in his conniving and and scheming way, that Lucifer said to these other angels, if you'll just come with me, And if you'll just follow me, I promise you that I'm going to make you higher than the other angels... ...and I'll make you second in my command. I'll give you a position higher than you already have. And I can imagine that he convinced those those angels to follow him. Well, the scriptures suggest to us that one-third of all the angels that were created... ...followed Lucifer in this rebellion. That's suggested by Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven... And behold, a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to earth. The red dragon there refers to Satan, and the stars refer to the angels. And so when Satan fell, one-third of all the angels joined in in that rebellion. Now those angels are the ones that we know today as demons... In your King James Bible, you won't even find the word demon. Uh, it's translated as devils, but it comes from the very same word that we, that we get demons. So the, these are Satan's helpers. Well, how many of these helpers does Satan have? The Bible doesn't say, doesn't tell us how many angels were created. But evidently, uh, the number of angels is an astounding number because they're referred to as the stars of heaven. How many is one-third of all the stars that are in the heavens? Well, I don't know. Um, scientists tell us that there are over 200 billion stars just in our galaxy alone. So how many angels are there? Well, there's billions and billions and billions, so many, and, and we'll come to it later when we study uh, angels particularly, that the Bible says that they are innumerable. Of course, there is a finite number to them, but we don't know what that number is. So that tells us that there are plenty of these demons that, to go around. And that also brings up another interesting point and that is that that Satan is a created being and so that means he doesn't have the same attributes as God. So Satan is not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent. And logic, of course, tells us that you can't have more than one omnipotent being in the universe. You can't have more than one omnipresent being in the universe nor one that's omniscient. And so Satan is none of those things. Well, if he can't be omnipresent, then then he can only be in one place at one time. And yet, Satan's presence is felt everywhere. He's not omnipresent, but he is ubiquitous. And that means it seems like he's everywhere. Well, how does does he do that? Well, it's because of all this help. There there are just billions of these demonic helpers. So because Satan can't be everywhere, he has a lot of help, and and so it's unlikely that with all the people that live in the world, the billions of people, and Satan can't be in two places at one time, that it's unlikely that you or any person that you've ever met was ever personally tempted by the devil. The devil doesn't have to do it alone because he has all this help. And so he just sends all of these evil angels. Whenever he wants one, he calls one up and he does his command. Well, I also want to mention here that the other two-thirds of the angels that didn't fall... These are called elect angels, and these angels are preserved in holiness. And so that means that there can never again be a rebellion in heaven. There can't be another angel now that would decide to do exactly the same thing that Satan did. They're preserved in their holiness. So these angels can't sin. And then the Bible also teaches us that there's no redemption for angels. And so that means that any of these angels that decided to follow Satan, they can never be redeemed. They can never turn around and begin to follow God again. You know, I, I've been asked the question before, well, why? well, Satan knows the Bible, he reads the Bible. Why doesn't Satan just give up? And why did not Satan turn back? And why does he just believe in God now? Well, first of all, repentance, the Bible says, is granted by God. And not even a man can repent unless God grants him repentance, and God won't do that. Now, the the sins that, that the devil committed, these are against a holy and righteous God, against an eternal God, and so those sins have to be paid for, and he's going to spend eternity in the fires of hell. Now, some people uh, wonder about this. You know, uh, well, you think it's unfair that God elects men to salvation. I mean, how is it fair for God to choose some men to be saved and not choose others to be saved? Well, when you ask that question, then just ask the question, why did God allow some angels to fall and provided no redemption for them? The elect angels can never turn to God. So if you wonder if God's fair about something, what about those angels? You see, God does exactly what he wants to do. We don't have a right to question anything that God does. So Satan was created by God. He defected from God. And so he was rejected by God. He was Lucifer. He's the anointed cherub that covered. But now he's been kicked out. He's been rejected. His lofty position that he had among those angels was rescinded because he sinned against God. Now let's go back to Isaiah 14 again. Look at verse number 14. This is what Lucifer said. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So God allowed Lucifer to do what he did. And now his doom is sealed. He's rejected by God. Now he he only has hopes for a burning lake of fire. I mean, that's what's going to happen to him. That will be his eternal punishment. Revelation 20, verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Sometimes we wonder, well, when Satan fell, when Lucifer fell, why didn't God do something about it right then? Why didn't God decide that because this angel fell, he, he rebelled against him, why didn't God right at that moment Say, no more for you, I'm going to cast you down into hell right now, and that's where you're going to stay. Well, the Bible doesn't answer that question. I have no idea why God didn't do that, except this, that whatever God does does is the right thing to do. And so, in, in his perfection, God decided that it was better to allow him to fall than to allow man to fall, and then to send Jesus Christ into the world to save us from our sins. And by doing that, that is the thing that brings the most honor and glory to God. Well, God now has rejected Satan, and so what has that done to him? Well, we know it removed him from his place in heaven. He doesn't have that exalted position any longer, and so heaven's not his home, and so he must be in another place. Well, where is Satan right now? Where is his home? Well, his home is not in the earth, And uh, I don't think the Bible teaches that. His home is not in heaven. And one thing I do know for sure, his home is not in hell. Now, lots of people uh, in the world are mixed up about that. And much of the religious world is totally confused about this. Because they think that where Satan is right now, he went to hell. And Satan's in control of hell. And what he does down there, he just keeps the fires hot. Satan's the old coal heaver. He keeps throwing the coal on the fire and keeping the fires hot. And so they believe that that Satan is the one who has the power to condemn a person. He's the one who sends people to hell. And it's actually the devil who's in control of all of that and not God. Well, there's nothing further from the truth. God is in control of hell. You know, there are people who, who want to make God so nice, they think, that they take that away from him. God wants what's good and the devil wants what's bad. And God tries to take people to heaven and the devil's trying to take people to hell. And that's an idea that's just totally warped. That's not scriptural. God controls hell. And in his justice, he sends people to hell. Now, there's a verse in the scriptures that many people try to make a big deal out of. And this is uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse number 41. Jesus says there, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so they'll take that verse and they say, well, there we have it. Hell is a place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. And so God never intended that man should ever go to hell. That's a late development. Hell hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, I would say this, that yes, hell was primarily prepared for the devil and his angels, but God certainly knew who else was going to be there. Now, I will remind you that in another verse of Scripture that comes before verse number 41 is verse number 34. And there it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so heaven is a prepared place from the foundation for the, of the world for the chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. So certainly God does know who, who, who will be in heaven but as surely as he knows who is going to be in heaven he also prepared a place for them and he prepared a place for the people who wouldn't be in heaven. So hell, this is God's doing. Now it's suggested that the angels were created on the second day of creation. Lucifer fell on the second day of creation and so therefore hell was created on the second day of creation. The Bible doesn't tell us that it tells us that hell is a prepared place for the devil and his angels, and God knows men who will be there too. So I don't know when it was, but I do know that Satan did not go into hell on, upon the fall. And I know that God knew that Adam, what Adam would do, because Jesus is described as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And what that tells me is that God controls it all, God planned it all, and he made both heaven and hell or its proper recipients. Now let me go back to this thought again. Where, just where is Satan now? I don't know where Satan's particular resting place is if he has one, but I do know this, that the Bible teaches that he still had access to heaven after he fell. In uh, Job chapter 1 verse 6 it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now, sons of God there refers to the angels. And so here is Satan along with those elect angels of God. And he comes to appear before God. He comes into the presence of God. And there he made an accusation against Job. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And so this is what Satan does right now. He's still accusing us before God. But thank the Lord for this. The Bible teaches us that we have an advocate in heaven it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. So no matter if he accuses us, we have a defender there. But let me make one more comment before I close the message tonight. Satan is not in hell, but there are some of these evil angels, some of these demons that were consigned to hell at the time that they fell. Peter was writing about this, and he was talking about how God would condemn false teachers. And... Uh, Maybe Joel Osteen wants to pay attention right now because he might be among those. But uh, he compared these false teachers, these false apostles, to fallen angels. And this is what Peter said, "'For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment.'" So that tells us that there were some of these angels that fell, that right then God chained them up, he put them into the bottomless pit, and they, are stay, they stay there, they can't get out, they remain there until the judgment comes. And Jude confirms this. Jude says, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of that great day. Now, I want you to take your Bible, you would, if you turn to Revelation chapter 9. These angels that we're talking about, the ones that fell, some of them, God chained them in the bottomless pit, awaiting a particular day. And I believe that these are the angels, the, these demons, that are going to be leashed upon the earth during the tribulation period, unleashed upon the earth in the, in the tribulation period. And while the devil may be an exceedingly beautiful creature... And if you could see him, he would be beautiful. Yet these demons that the Bible describes, there's nothing beautiful about them at all. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 9, verse number 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Now the star there has reference to an angel. Uh, Most grammarians believe that the word fall there should be rendered as fallen. So in other words, this star or this angel had already fallen. Well, who would that be? Well, that's Lucifer or that's Satan. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And that's where these demons are. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Now, these locusts are those demons And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man." And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it... ...and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Now verse number 7 begins the description of these demons. And the shapes of the locust were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron... And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And that means destroyer. And this king that's over them, that's Satan." So what we're talking about here is the kingdom of Satan. And these evil angels, they'll be released during the tribulation period. And they'll go out over the whole earth and wreak havoc upon all the men that are left there after Jesus comes. Now, I'm glad for one thing. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. And so I don't have to go through this time. If Jesus comes back tonight I'm going with him. And I hope that you are too, because anybody who's left here behind, when Jesus comes, they'll have to go through this terrible tribulation period, and they're going to experience the power of these demons that are going to come upon the earth. Well, folks, you see here, this is the enemy that we fight. Now, we're just getting a start into looking at who he is. He is a real enemy. His anger and his frustration is built up against God. For centuries, all the way back to the time nearly that he was created, that anger and frustration keeps on building. And so he's doing everything within his power, power that's much greater than you and I have, everything that's within his power to try to destroy Christian lives today. Now we're primarily talking about Christians here. We don't need to talk about what the devil does with lost people. But he affects Christian people. And so that's why I tell you, you need to watch out for these preachers on television and and come with all their sweet smiles and tell you what the Christian life is like and how easy it is. And you can do it. If you just try, you can do it. You'll never do it in your own strength. It's impossible for you to do it. And so when you see a sweet, smiling Joel Osteen on your television, just make sure that you look real close because you may see him casting the shadow of the devil. That's what I believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we learn from your word. Help us, Lord, to be aware of this enemy that we face. Help us to watch out for false apostles and false teachers who who don't tell us the truth about what we're facing here. Lord, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit's power. We have to go in the strength of your might. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.